Coming up on the Van Maren Show, we have the first of a two-part series on what is going on inside Norway and why some parents are seeing their children taken away from them for no good reason, in some cases, never to see them again. We have an interview on that coming right up. Stay with us. Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and welcome to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. Today is the first episode of a two-part series on what's going on inside Norway. Over the years, many of you have probably heard the story, some reported on here at LifeSite News, of children being taken away from their parents, sometimes even American children or children not born inside Norway, removed by child services, and in some instances, some instances never return to them. To discuss this issue, I'm going to be talking to Bjorn Korf, who has become something of an activist on this issue. He's a radio host and activist based out of Vienna, Austria. He recently uh, joined Citizen Go, a petition platform as a campaign manager. He's been taking a very close look and working with parents who have had their children taken away from them, and he joined me to describe what is going on in Norway. So without further introduction from me, I'm going to turn this over to Bjorn Korf, who will explain to us exactly what is going on and what we can do about it. So first off, just tell our listeners and our viewers a bit about your work. It's a very unique and strange job that you have. We do a lot of culture war work here at LifeSite News, but I have to say, even in the context of the culture war, what you do is pretty strange. Well, uh, actually, what I do for work is I'm a, a Christian uh, radio uh, broadcaster. And through that, I got involved what, what I do now, which is called now Step Up for Children's Rights, which is a, a voluntary initiative to help children in Norway that are being, I would say, abducted by uh, social services. So, like, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about the word abducted there for a minute, because I can hear a lot of people... Uh, you know, thinking to themselves, this sounds sort of like tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. We in the West here too, we hear a lot about how good Scandinavia is. They've got a great system. It's very progressive. So this idea that child social services in Norway is actually abducting to people is, is very, will be very foreign to people. So let's make the case. What is the situation in Norway? How are they abducting children? How did this problem start? Give us some of the background here. Well, maybe best would be to give you a background if I share my own story, how I discovered. Uh, and this, this explains it a little more. Because as I said, I uh, am involved with Christian Radio. And we do have uh, another partner radio organization, which uh, is from Romania. But they're also located here in Vienna. And they uh, alerted us in 2016, which is now four years ago, uh, to a situation in Norway. And they said, uh, there's this uh, Romanian-Norwegian family and they have five children and all five children were taken for no good reason. And uh -huh. then uh, just a couple of days later, I received a petition to sign. And my first reaction was like, well, they must have done something terribly Yeah, I wrong. remember this story coming out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there must have been done something, done something terribly wrong that uh, the CPS, the Child Welfare Services, that they take all their five children. But then I started to investigate. And then I figured that uh, all their friends, their relatives, their neighbors in Norway, uh, 
even the teachers, uh, they all said, no, they haven't done anything wrong. And even the doctor who uh, was supposed to look at the children, he said there was no sign of any violence. Uh, but yet these three children, uh, no, these five children, they were uh, put in, into three different foster homes uh, without any uh, proper investigation that took place beforehand, without any uh, court uh, judgments. Nothing has happened before that. So, uh, so why were they why were they pulled out of their parents' home? Uh, well, it it started uh, from 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 what was also known later on in the internet. You know that their two oldest daughters they were already in primary school, and during a break at school they were singing uh, a Christian song. You know, it's like you know you stand together with your friends, and then it's like you know what kind of songs do you know? And they were singing a Christian song. And then uh, one of the teachers uh, heard that and uh, phoned the uh, child welfare officers right away, asking for advice, uh, saying, what should I do with a child uh, that is apparently in indoctrinated, religiously indoctrinated in the home? And then two hours later, they came to the school. They picked up the two girls from the school. And uh, at the same time, there was another car that pulled off uh, to the parents' home and, and, and took the, I think, either from the kindergarten or from the parents' home, I can't remember, but they took the, the uh, two other children. And then the day later, they took the little infant, which was like three months old. Uh, so it was a, a baby that was still breastfed. They took that as well. And as I said before, they were placed into three different foster homes and no investigation took place here, nothing. So how do they publicly defend this, right? Because the idea that you can just pull kids out of the house because of religious indoctrination, it, it, it seems far-fetched, right? I, I know people will say, well, Norway, Scandinavia in general has a, has a fairly large Muslim population as well. So it's not like it's just Christian families that will be raising their kids with a specific religious faith and raising them with a faith that runs counter to many of today's progressive orthodoxies. So how did they defend taking these kids out of, out of the home? Well, the thing is, you know, if you ask them, they will never, ever comment on one, on one individual case. So the only thing that, that you get, get from them is, well, we do this in the best interest of the children. Uh, and this is basically all that you get from them. So how, how do the parents get recourse, right? If, you're, if your children get taken away, they have to explain why they're taking the kids away. And so what do they tell the parents and how, how can the parents seek recourse? Because it's, it's, it's an incredibly serious thing virtually anywhere in any Western country to have your kids taken away. It's not done very quickly. And when it is done, there's always, generally speaking, unless there's severe dangerous abuse, there's usually multiple opportunities to reunite the family. Family reunification uh, is, is a huge goal of child family services. And even if they can't place the child back with the parents, they generally try to find family, friends, or relatives so they don't they disturb the, the, the culture and, and the child's life in the most minimal way possible. So how, how do they defend this to the parents? Well, exactly. That's exactly the way child welfare services should work. you know. And then even if you have an extreme case like that, uh, then they should always work with the parents and to uh, make sure that the child can return to the parents as quickly as possible, you know, and you only take children out of a family in such a compelling and extreme situation, which uh, uh, was not the case in this case. And like in so many other cases, uh, 
they were basically saying, well, there was, there was violence in, in the home, but even though there wasn't, there was no evidence for it. And so they would uh, then uphold the accusation uh, that uh, yeah, they, they were in, religiously indoctrinated. Um, first of all, the parents weren't even really told what the reason was, so it took a while. Uh, and this even was a violation of, of, you know, any kind of law. I mean, you're supposed to, to know what you're being accused of, you know, mm -hmm. and it, I don't know how long it took them until they actually found out what, be, what they were being accused of. And this was one example uh, that, that I found out. And back then I did uh, a radio documentary <clears throat> and I thought this was just a bureaucratic mistake, just one individual. Right. How did that particular case end? Well, the thing was that it drew a lot of international attention, um, the, especially since um, the father was Romanian, the mother was Norwegian, so it was a Romanian-Norwegian family. So the Romanian community, the Christian community out there in the world, they went on the streets, they did massive protests, really tens of thousands of people worldwide were on the streets protesting, give these children back to their family. And uh, I think it was because of these protests that uh, they eventually decided to give them back. Okay. Did, they, did the family stay in Norway once they got their children back? No, they uh, actually went on a long holiday, so to say. They never uh, got back to, to Norway. And from what I know is uh, while they were uh, driving, uh, or I should say fleeing the country, they got a phone call from their lawyer, don't ever consider to come back to uh, to Norway because they're now trying to uh, put you on another trial for kidnapping your own children okay. because it, it is a law in, in Norway that as soon as the child welfare services, you know, in Norway, they're called Barneverne, as soon as Barneverne is uh, looking at, at a case, you're not allowed to leave the country. And otherwise, and if you do, then that is uh, child kidnapping. So they received a phone call from their lawyer uh, you need to uh, not come back to, uh, to Norway. Uh, you, you stay away out, out from this country because uh, they're looking for you. And so, this is uh, like ha happened to many other families as well. Right. So you mentioned that this is the first story you found out about. I remember, I remember uh, reading about the story at the time. LifeSite News covered it extensively. And then you realize that this was the tip of the iceberg. And that this was, if not standard practice, something that happens extremely frequently with the Norwegian child services. And there's a book that delineates all these stories that we were talking about earlier uh, called Stolen Childhood uh, by Stephen Bennett. It's a phenomenal book. Well, phenomenal in the way that it's very revelatory and has a lot of important information and they're not phenomenal in terms of it's pretty gut wrenching, especially to anybody who has children. And many of those listening and watching have children of their own. So the idea of your children being taken away from you, especially when you're innocent, is, is just really gut wrenching to consider. So once you started looking into Norwegian child services, what did you begin to find? Well, I found one story after the other, really. Uh, the first case I came across was the case of an uh, American mother. Her name is Amy Jacobson, uh, and I've met her uh, twice, actually, uh, in the meantime. But I came across a video on the internet on YouTube, and it was put together by some uh, Polish activists, and they have it on youtube and i was like if that story is true i mean who else is helping this poor mother uh everybody was standing up for this norwegian romanian family for the bonario family tens of thousands but then here's a case nobody speaks up for and i said uh 
I need to do something about this. And so first of all, it was just because I wanted to help Amy. And at this time, I didn't even know her. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I made contact with her. And to make a long story short, uh, there was a protest in 2016, a public protest, a demonstration in Poland where she actually came. And I went there together with uh, another friend. So we were two of us who uh, went to Poland to meet her. And first of all, we thought this is just a demonstration for her case only. And then at the demonstration, there were probably about 100 people there, uh, also with children. And then we had some time together. And then all of a sudden, everybody turned around to us and asked us, hey, tell me, what is your story with Barneverne, the Norwegian Child Welfare Services? And then we stand there and realize that almost everybody at the protest had a story to tell. And we literally were bursting into tears. Uh, there was one family that had just escaped the country uh, with a 12-year-old son. He was already taken by, by Barneverne and he was in a, uh, placed in an institution. And he apparently managed to escape from that institution. And you have to picture this, a 12-year-old boy He runs away from this institution, goes to Sweden, and then when he is in Sweden, he phones his mother and he said, can you pick me up in Sweden? So his mother travels to Sweden, and while she is traveling to Sweden, the uh, Barnevana, they come again and they take the two younger children who, who were with the father at the time. And so the father phones them and says, you cannot come back to, um, to, to Norway because they've just taken the other two children And so they decided to go to Poland uh, and they actually just arrived on that day when the protest was. And so I've just met them and this boy, he was fluent in, in English. He was holding my hand and he was just crying saying, I want to see my brother and sister. And then you're standing there and you, you say, and we think we have problems. Um, and we figured at this point, you know, we need to do something about this. Um, and that's when we started this uh, initiative, which is now called Uh, step up for children's rights. So what is the story of, uh, of Mrs. Jacobson? Well, Amy, she grew up in the United States. She, she's an American, but her father originated from, from Norway. And when she was like 12 or 13 years old, uh, the, the family moved back to Norway. Uh, and yeah, later on, she had a, a boyfriend and uh, she, uh, they had a, a, a baby boy named Tyler. And uh, somebody who didn't like Amy called the child welfare offices. I, we don't know exactly what was being told, but basically uh, Amy was on a holiday in, in America with Tyler. And the day, one day after she got back in July, 2013, the police and the Barnevan that they knock at the door and they say, well, we must take your son to a hospital for yeah that the, that the doctor would look at the at the boy uh and then of course being completely overwhelmed with the situation you know you agree and uh, also the father of the child who is a norwegian uh he came also along to the to the hospital and that's very interesting um because they didn't go to the local doctor who had all the records all the documents about tyler Uh, who always said that everything is fine with Tyler. No, they went to a hospital which is 75 kilometers away from, from the place where they were living. 
um, which raises even wider questions. Why, why did they have to do that? And then there's a doctor who has never seen Tyler before. He examines the boy and he says, well, uh, he's a little underweight uh, with uh, 19 months. Uh, you should, he should have 10 kilos and uh, he, he only weighs 9.6 kilos. I mean, this is nothing. You know, if you look at weight charts, there's no problem there. And then he says, well, and he also has a, a slight vitamin B12 deficiency. Well, if you have a slight vitamin B12 deficiency, then you have to do some checkups and find out what, why he has that. And uh, you would have to uh, come with the child again to, to check up. Um, probably the vitamin B12 deficiency was there because they just got back from the United States and they had this long flight. I mean, this, mm -hmm. this could be related as well. Um, but that was enough reason for the, the Barnevane, for the CPS, to seize this child. And uh, because of the American citizenship, that's what it says in the documents, in the case documents, and I've seen them. Uh, because of the American citizenship of the mother, uh, the Norwegian father and also Amy, they're not allowed to know where Tyler is now. In fact, they have even changed the name twice to make sure that they don't find, about, find out where he lives now. So he was sent off to live with strangers, with, with a foster family, but they don't know uh, where he is now. How long have they been apart? Uh, the last time, well, this happened in 2013 in July. Mm -hmm. And the last time Amy has seen Tyler was in 2014. And uh, now uh, it, the thing is that uh, uh, he is about to get forcibly adopted. And also reports indicate uh, from Barnevane that Tyler is actually asking uh, for his biological parents. So he must have some, some memory. Um, and it's, yeah. So why is this not a worldwide outrage? If all the details are precisely as you lay out, it sounds like a state kidnapping. Like it, it, it's a nightmare from which there is no escape for the parents. And again, it is, it, it, this is just incredibly hard to believe. It's hard to believe that this is actually happening, especially in a Western country. The idea that this is happening in a Western country when you have American citizenship, when there should be so many recourses, like that's got, that's got to be like living inside a nightmare. Um, that's got to be a sense of desperation that's very difficult to, to understand. So why is this not an international story? Can the American government do something? Um, I'm sure she's ex exhausted every imaginable avenue, but she's already had missed her, her son's entire childhood. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is really an outrage. And uh, why is there not an international outcry? I don't know. Um, the case has been already on American television. It has been covered by, by CBN News. Uh, but... But CB, CBN is a, is a Christian. Is a Christian. Uh, has any secular newspaper covered this? No, no. So not, not even like the Daily Mail in the UK or... No, nothing, nothing. I mean, we as an uh, initiative, we have tried to contact as many media as possible. But I think also this is also a matter of, you know, you need to need to know the right kind of people right. uh, because they probably receive tons of uh, stories that they could possibly cover. So that's also an issue why they probably won't even look at it. Um, Secretary Pompeo has, has stated that uh, the American government wants to see that every... Uh, seized American would be returned home to the US. So you wonder why won't they look into this case? Um, we've been in contact with the US embassy over this issue. 
in, in Oslo, in Norway, and they won't do much. They, they would only say to Amy that she needs to submit to the uh, Norwegian rules and to the Norwegian law. But I would turn around and say, hang on a second there. You have the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Uh, the, the identity of, of an American citizen here is completely being erased. Uh, the child is seized. They hide the whereabouts. I mean, that's a crime. So what, what, are, the, what are the next steps for Amy? Well, what you can do is uh, go to the European Court of Human Rights. Um, this is uh, happening also in many other cases. In fact, I think in a little more than, than a year ago, uh, Norway has been convicted five times in five different child welfare cases uh, for, for violating human rights. Convicted by who? Sorry? Convicted by who? by the European Court of Human Rights. So this is really the, the highest uh, court that we have in Europe. And is extremely liberal. So if they're, getting, if they're convicting Norway, that's a real indication that something is very fishy here. Yeah, and by, by the end of last year, 2019, there were some 30-plus cases pending before the European Court, all child welfare cases from Norway, and that's a very high number. Do you have any indication of, of how it got to this point? Because, so I, I've heard uh, one similar story from Germany about a homeschooling family um, that ended up uh, facing the state-sanctioned uh, sta- state removal of their children because they were homeschooling, which is still illegal in Germany. But for the rest of it, you only ever hear stories about Norway. And we've been hearing these stories for, for almost 10 years now, sort of trickling out. And every once in a while, they make a big splash. You're telling us that there's a lot more of these stories that don't actually make the news. So how did, did the Norwegian child services specifically get so bad? Because you don't hear about this from Sweden or Denmark or Finland or, or any of the other countries. It's just from, from Norway. So what is it about Norway that, that makes them the way they are? They're, it's not like they're the only secular country in, in, in Scandinavia either. Well, uh, I have to correct you a little bit. Uh, it's not Norway only. I would say it's the whole Scandinavian uh, model. Okay. Um, because we, we, we know also about cases from Sweden. Uh, one case in Sweden was even covered by CBN News uh, a while ago. Uh, then I know a, a case, I've met a mother from Finland, uh, her daughter was taken in Finland. So this is not just Norway only, but I think Norway really, they have made an art of it. Um, uh, the media outlets, they have researched in Norway, there was an Australian TV station and a French German TV station, and they found out that uh, child removals in Norway, they have gone up by 70% over the last years, and you have like... Uh, four to five children that are being taken uh, by the child welfare services each day. And then you think wow. of this, that this is such a small country where you have only 5 million people. Uh, and then you have 400 different offices across the country. So, you, and, and, and everything they do is really, it's like almost spying on, on, on families, you know, as soon as uh, somebody doesn't like, uh, his neighbor, you know, he just gives a phone call to, to the Barnevern office and then they come and take the children. I mean, this is a reality in Norway. And, and so why are they, are they taking the kids away? Uh, I, I keep on coming back to, there's got to be some sort of justification they're giving for doing this. Well, I would probably say uh, a, a violence being involved here. 
but also are you Canadian? There has been a, a Canadian case two years ago, uh, the Kai Christiansen case, half Canadian, half Norwegian. Mm -hmm. They have lived all their lives in, in, in Canada, but then the father, he uh, originated from, the, from Norway. They moved to uh, Norway because he got to work there. And then the problem was that Kai, I think he was 10 or 12 years back then, His Norwegian wasn't so good and uh, yeah, people or the children in school, they bullied him a lot and he even got death threats from his classmates or in school. So the parents decided to homeschool him. And this is actually allowed in Norway. There's no problem. You just have to, to let them know and tell the school that you do the homeschooling. And uh, if you do it the, the, the right way, then there shouldn't be a problem. And that's what they have done. But still, the school would uh, report them and say, well, they uh, homeschooling and we, we don't want that. And uh, yeah, the same day they came and they were chasing this boy. There's a video on. Yeah, I saw the video. Yeah, you saw the video you know, where they're chasing this boy in the snow and he's screaming for help. Uh, and there's no investigation taking place whatsoever. And this is. He, he returned to his family in that case, correct? Say that again? He was returned to his family eventually. He was returned to this family, but only because there was an international outcry. That's right. The Homeschool Legal Defense Association got involved there, and together with Citizen Go, they had this petition, and then within, within two weeks, thousands, tens of thousands of people, they have signed this petition, uh, and then he was returned. But they had to turn in his passport, so they said uh, he will get the boy will get back his passport when he has re reached a proper age. So they just wanted to make sure that the family would not flee leave. the country. Yeah, I know. I know people um, that won't even go to Norway on a business trip with their kids because of Norway's reputation. People have told me that. So what is the response to all this? You have a, a, of a, an initiative that you work on with several others to try and help these children. And it's just you and a collection of people who have heard about this and gotten passionate about it, talk to the victims. What sort of work do you do? What sort of success do you see uh, in response to what's going on? And then I guess uh, I'd also love to know, what, we know what the, 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 the child services accuse people of. Is it the suspicion that they're largely taking kids away from families who do have deep religious beliefs or are, are sort of bucking the progressive trend in some way or other? Well, that's, uh, this can also be used as, uh, uh, as a reason why they take children or right. make, make a reason. They construct cases. Uh, we, we see very often they take little things. Uh, <clears throat> for example, uh, there's a spider web <laughs> on the ceiling in your house. Uh, and then they would say, well, the, the, the mother can't properly look after the children. Uh, and they find little things and they put a case together and say, you're not good enough. And, and this is a problem. You know, you're not, you're, not, you're not a good enough parent. And this is what, what comes across to so, so many uh, uh, people. But to answer your question, uh, what, what we do, Uh, we started off in 2016 when we decided we wanted to do something. We, first of all, uh, had a conference. We called it the Save the Children Conference. But then we realized that Save the Children, actually, the name is already taken by another organization. The, Kielber the Kielberger Brothers, I think. Yes. Uh, so, but we had this, this, this conference and then we, we invited uh, experts from Norway. And by now we have a large network of 
professionals, psychologists, doctors, nurses, lawyers, etc., and all across Norway, and they all say this system needs to be shut down immediately and they need to have a complete new start. It needs a new child welfare system. So we had some of these experts there back in 2016, but also victims who shared their stories. Um, and then later on, uh, we, we started with our website uh, and then we, we started uh, petitions also on the internet. You know, we have these uh, protests with, on, on Facebook where we, for example, have uh, for, for a family where we ask people to take a photo. Um, this is what we do. We want to inform people. We want to raise awareness. Uh, in one particular case, we actually helped uh, a mother flee the country so that she could uh, peacefully live elsewhere. Uh, and also to answer the other question re with regards to religion or religious reasons, uh, we know about one case, uh, one family that actually fled to Dubai. It's a Swedish-Finnish family, and they wanted to take the girl. Back then, the girl was eight years old. Uh, because that this is what it says in the case papers, uh, because of the ethnical background of the parents and because of the religiosity of the parents, and the parents are, are evangelical Christians. So this is pure discrimination, as as one lawyer whom we know from Norway, as he puts it. And uh, because we have made so much pressure on, I think social media. Uh, they finally dropped this particular case that we refer to as the Dubai case. But this, yes, is one case for sure where they used uh, the religious uh, backgrounds. Do you see uh, any hope for the system changing with all the work you've been doing and with the ability to kind of get, get the word out with social media and things like that? We've seen individual victories in specific cases as a result of international pressure, but do you see any systemic change coming? We see only individual yeah, success, I would say, uh, as you've put it. But with the current uh, children's minister, uh, he has just recently stated after uh, all these uh, um, yeah, uh, things coming, the verdicts coming from the European Court from Strasbourg in European Court of Human Rights, he only stated, yeah, we, we understand that uh, it's not easy for parents who go through a situation like that but we won't look any further into that. And it's also very interesting, within only three years, Norway has seen, uh, no, within two years, I have to correct myself, within only two years, Norway has seen three different uh, children's ministers, uh, political ministers. So this also says something. Yeah, no, no kidding. Yeah. Well, where can people find your work if <clears throat> they want to get involved and follow what you do? Well, we do have the website. It's called stepupforchildrensrights.com. Uh, step up four. You actually write the, the number four because okay. we were four guys who started it and we want to shorten things down. So stepupforchildrensrights.com. And then we are also on Facebook uh, as well, on social media, uh, where we, we share about these, these uh, things. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about what you're doing and thank you for the work you're doing. Yeah, well, thanks uh, so much for having me. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Bjorn Korf on what is going on inside Norway. Our second part to this two-port series will be an interview with a mother whose children are currently in the custody of Norwegian Child Services despite the fact that she has been cleared by multiple police investigations. Please do take the time to listen to or watch her story as well. These parents are living through a nightmare, and the least we can do is listen to and share their stories. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. And again, we do hope you'll go to lifesightnews.com, familiarize yourself with this issue and other important issues, and that you'll tune in to the second part of this two-part series as well. Thanks so much for listening.